Broadcasting live around the globe from San Antonio, deep in the heart of Texas. This is Paranormal Analytical. I'm your host, Eddie Hill, and I will be presenting reports and evidence of some of the most astonishing paranormal claims. I'm joined by my co-host, Renee Rodriguez, and our director and producer, Miguel Cantu, will be monitoring the chat room and phone line. We have a fantastic show for you tonight that will open your minds to the infinite possibilities to explain our universe. Get comfortable and prepare yourself for the best paranormal show in the world. This is Paranormal Analytical. Hello and welcome everybody. My name is Eddie Hill and you are listening to Paranormal Analytical. We want to say thank you very much for being here on the show with us today. Uh, we have our special guest, Ken Gerhard, who's a cryptozoologist. Ken? Yes. How are you doing, What's up, man? Eddie? Yeah. Oh, I'm doing great, brother. How are you doing? Doing great. And we also have my co-host tonight, which is Dylan Holiday. How are you doing, Dylan? Fantastic, sir. Awesome, awesome. So we are... And you forgot about me. Oh, I forgot you were even sitting here. I'm so used to you not being here. No, I haven't been here the past couple weeks. Our our director and producer, we have uh, Mike, or Miguel Cantu, who is also uh, the head honcho, the owner of Altered Vision Studios, who uh, does all our paranormal shows and stuff as well. So we want to welcome everybody to the show. And uh, it's going to be great tonight. We're going to be talking about everything cryptid. And who better to talk that with than an actual cryptozoologist? Thank you so much for being with us tonight, Ken. Absolutely, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, it's an honor to be on your show. Shoot, it's an honor to have you. So we're going to be having you for the first hour because I know that you rather just do an hour show. And I think we can get quite a bit done in an hour. And uh, then we're after that, it's going to be kind of open lines, and we're going to all be talking amongst ourselves. But uh, I know that you're probably going to have to roll, Ken, but we really appreciate the time that you do have to spend with us tonight. Absolutely, man. Well, uh, I promise to make it an hour crammed full of information for uh, anyone who's interested. Oh, i got to move my cup. It's sitting there in the way of the video camera. Everybody's seeing what I'm eating and drinking. But, uh, Ken, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to lately. I mean, it's been a long time since you and I have actually talked. And I know that you had a lot going on. You've been working on some uh, projects. I mean, tell us what's going on with you. 
Well, um, you know, got a lot of, as always, I'm juggling a lot of projects, but I'm working on a, a series of documentaries at the moment is my main project. And I can only honestly release little pieces of information here and there because, you know, we're, we're trying to amass more material before we do a, a grand launch. Uh, but I'm working with my buddy Lyle Blackburn, who many people confuse us because we look very similar, but he's also a cryptid hunter and excellent writer and uh, television personality. And uh, so we're doing a show, and we've both done a lot of television, so we, you know, we kind of got frustrated with that whole process and moreover with the way that television is kind of taken out of the hands of the, the investigators and you know and sometimes things are edited or presented in a way that's not very comfortable so we're doing a very authentic documentary it's an these are actual cryptid investigations by two leading researchers actual eyewitnesses no actors or embellishments we are doing recreations which are fun of the accounts so um, and yeah, so and it's it's going to be you know we're going to be traveling all over the place investigating a myriad of of mystery creatures. Yeah, so I, I, I hear you on the frustration with the television part of it. That's that's always a lot of fun, isn't it, Mike? Oh yeah, always. So you you and Lyle are going to be creating this show, which is really great. I think you two went shopping at the same store when you got your hats, didn't you? Yeah. Well, I often tell people um, if you're familiar with the term convergent evolution. Uh, essentially, it means that two life forms take para- kind of a parallel because of the their, the adaptations to their environments. They they take similar paths and they end up very you know having similar characteristics. So that's kind of Lyle and I. We've talked about it. Our birthdays are very close together, about the same age. We had similar influences. We both had fathers that were outdoorsmen. We both grew up lo- loving animals in the outdoors and also monster movies. And we were both into into horror movies big time, and then that, and then we both got into, of course, Bigfoot when we learned about that, and then we both subsequently became musicians and uh, played. You know, we were both influenced by bands like Kiss when we were kids, and then we grew up and started doing these very theatrical, dark, heavy bands. And so we knew we actually knew about each other. He was in Dallas, I was in Houston at the time, and we kept we never played together, but we kept tabs on each other, and then we finally met uh years ago and uh so yeah it's a good it's a good relationship lyle is more of a he's like a top-notch journalist he's really really good about digging in getting facts uh staying objective and um he's got a he's got a great voice for narration and then i you know have a little bit more of a scientific uh background coming you know working at the san antonio zoo and my father was a phd and you know so so the two of us we work well together and uh, yeah, I hope people will check it out. We should be launching episodes uh, by the end of the summer. Well, I am so looking forward to seeing that when it comes out. I know it's going to be good because you've always done quality work, and I've known you for years and years. And you know, I'm always every time something comes my way that's cryptid, you know, I always send it to you. And uh, you know, a lot of times you've already known about it, or you can tell me a lot of you know. Uh, dishonesty that's taking place i guess you could say with some of the things that i've sent you from uh, certain people yeah i appreciate that Eddie. there's a lot i always have to tell people there's a ton of misinformation and falsehoods and hoaxes and things out there i'm sure it's the same in all aspects of paranormal research and ufos and you know whatever you're into there are always people fabricating videos or stories or trying to get hits on their website so you know it's very important for people to just be aware of that and 
when you see a photo or, a, or an alleged photo or video of a strange animal on the internet, that's usually how it happens, right? The social media people start sharing a picture or a video or an image and a story that, you know, you, you remain objective and skeptical and think about it critically, you know, and um, a lot of things can be explained in, you know, and there are things that go on in the animal kingdom that are exceptional that people don't see all the time behaviors by animals or physical characteristics by ter- certain animals that they're uncommon and so when we see them it's kind of like you know it throws us for a loop but uh, if you know that those things happen and you can understand that oh this is just a, an unusual situation or appearance for this particular animal well let me ask you what do you think we and i'm sure that you've seen our uh our sizzle reel on the deadly dogmen, you know, with the as far as these werewolf creatures that people mm-hmm. are re- reporting everywhere. There's thousands of these, these reports. I mean, what do you make mm-hmm. of this thing? I know it's not, this isn't something that you've actually looked into that closely. I mean, we've spoken about it before, but I mean, what's your actual thoughts on this creature actually existing? Well, there's a fringe area of cryptozoology uh, known as zooform phenomenon. Zooform is the really, really weird stuff that doesn't fit into the paradigm of the natural world, into the fossil history. Um, you know, so creatures that, that have characteristics that just can't exist. And, uh, but nonetheless, as you said, there are tons of accounts by credible people, uh, encounters with things that, you know, just we can't explain. And so I certainly put the dog man in that group of zooforms, uh, as well as things like the Mothman of West Virginia, very well known. Uh, the chupacabra, um, the, the the traditional you know Puerto Rican chupacabra that uh, that looks looks a little bit more like an alien, uh, right. mermaids. I mean anything that combines a human with any type of animal. That's you know sounds like it's out of Greek mythology. It just it, it's impossible. <laughs> you can't have there. There's a you know there's a well established. Uh, fossil history now where you look at, you know, humans, for example, diverged with most other mammals, like, you know, or the primate line, I should say, which, you know, di- uh, diverged from other common ancestors like 50 million years ago, you know, so it's like, there's no way that a human can can have, you know, wings or, or dog-like characteristics or vice versa. Um, evolution just doesn't happen that way, but, you know, there are, like, really fantastic conspiracy theories about how there's genetic DNA testing being done by aliens or covert military operations where they're breeding humans or, you know, mixing human DNA with dog DNA. I mean, I can't prove or disprove any of that stuff, Eddie. It's cool to, to imagine that. Yeah. Um, so I think that these, most of these zoo forms, and I've investigated mostly the, the flying humanoids and some dogman accounts, things like the goat man, um, I, I think that it's more of a metaphysical supernatural type phenomenon that these things are manifestations of some kind things that take on a physical appearance and do, some physical properties but I, I don't think they're flesh and blood I think there's something spectral do you think that portals exist and portals open up and these things can come through I mean is that a possibility have you heard anything like that you know because I know they've also spoken about Bigfoot you know coming mm-hmm. in and out of this dimension as far as yep. one of the possibilities yeah, those have been long-standing theories that go back to the 60s when people started getting very cosmic. And, of course, at that time, people were already associating Bigfoot with UFOs and the Bermuda Triangle and Atlantis. All that stuff was really popular in the 70s, and it all kind of got lumped together. Uh, but, you know, 
I'm certainly, I don't pretend to, to know much about quantum physics. I've read a few things, um, but there is something known as the multiverse um, theory, which, you know, Einstein was a proponent of that, you know, essentially there could be infinite dimensions of time and space, reality, you know, if you want to call them port, you know, and certainly if they're a portal would be an inferred connection between these different dimensions or realities where things could move from one side to another. Uh, so, I mean, if Einstein says that it's possible, then, you know, you can't argue with that. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there I've never seen or heard of physical hard proof of a quote-unquote portal. I know I've met and talked to people who claim to have have them on their property or, or know where they are. And so, and it's, you know, um, it's possible. I mean, these things, whatever they are, they're coming from somewhere. Um so yeah, it's it's fun to speculate about, but but who knows? It could could happen, I guess. Well, you know what, Dylan, you're from the younger generation. You're yes. 18 years old. You're still in school. I mean, what, I, what what do you think about this? And what do your friends think about these cryptid creatures, these hidden animals? Well, so one of the creatures that fascinates me the most is the Mothman. Uh, you know. Um, <clears throat> being started in a town in West Virginia, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Um, a super fascinating story that goes along with the Mothman. And my theory about these creatures is that they're probably just some type of deformality uh, in the wild, you know? A Bigfoot or a Dogman, you know? I feel like it's, it's some type of deformality that happens naturally in the wild that's extremely rare. Not rare enough that, you know, we can't see it, but something that can happen and people do see now ken what would you tell you know uh people dylan's age if they're asking you about bigfoot and cryptids and that kind of a thing what would you tell them as far as what your beliefs are and you know something to keep them interested or to keep them to where you're actually giving them the best information you can well, I would encourage any young people, and I do, uh, it's really encouraging to see the young people that are becoming involved in cryptozoology and, and reaching out to me for advice and stuff. Um, the thing to keep in mind is that cryptozoology has, was uh, always intended to follow the doctrines and methodologies of actual zoology. It's, it's supposed to be a branch of zoology, which is a, an established science. Cryptozoology was started by a zoologist, an esteemed zoologist named Dr. Bernard Huvelmans, Ph.D., and other zoologists have, have been involved along the way. And so, therefore, even though science, a lot of science is just best guess, um, you know, best theory available based on, you know, all the evidence that's been amassed. Um, so there is a little bit of room there for, for the science to evolve and, and take on new uh, kind of ideologies. Um, essentially, cryptozoology is about animals. So it's about understanding um, the animal kingdom, the laws of biology, evolution, uh, adaptability, wildlife ecology, and all those things, and understanding that the world is big and big enough and vast enough for some species to be undiscovered still. And so that's kind of the lean of the traditional cryptozoologist is Bigfoot is an undiscovered or a presumed to be extinct hominid. Uh, the Loch Ness monster could be a unknown animal or something, you know, that from the from the past, from you know prehistory. So, um, when you know, but through through the years and with the you know, 
kind of these different periods where people become very interested in the metaphysical. It seems to come in waves, right, every so many years. And also, the, you know, with multimedia now and television and websites and things, there are people that tend to espouse theories that make cryptozoology seem more about, like, really weird, uh, you know, things like the Mothman, like the Dogman, um, even like some aliens, you know, <laughs> things like the Flatwoods Monster and things like that. But that's not what cryptozoology... Now, cryptozoology can have a fringe area that explores some of that stuff, and I think that's where it's been at. But it really should... We really should question the possibility of something like the Mothman in terms of being a flesh and blood creature because it just it breaks all the rules of zoology. What do you make of that, Dylan? I mean, I'm just really fascinated with Mothman. So are you saying that you're not on board with the Mothman idea? Like, or, or are you saying that it's definitely a possibility and that we well, should be... No. Yeah, I said earlier that it's. I think it's metaphysical. I think okay. it's a paranormal phenomenon, a manifestation. Like Eddie said, it's either something, an ultra-terrestrial being or life form from another dimension or reality that comes into ours, or um, some kind of manifestation of energy, um, um, or perhaps a thought projection, basically like a hologram that people have created um, in the common consciousness, that the unconscious mind, and that we are able to physically project these creatures into our reality. Now, I think a lot of times we have a there's a lot of videos, and I know you've probably seen the Patterson video a million times, Ken. But do you feel that's an actual video that was taken of this thing, or do you believe, like some people, that that was a you know? a costume that was put on and, and this guy was trying to make a name for himself. Um, the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot film, um, I have never wavered in my belief that it is authentic. From the first time I saw it at eight years old on TV and got hooked me into the Bigfoot world and I've watched it um, you know, tons of times since and you know, in recent years I've been fortunate enough to have watched it in digitally enhanced, stabilized, enlarged versions that were never possible before. And it's just, you know, I never do anything 100%, but I'll say it's like 90, I'm 99% sure that that's, it's a video of a real animal that's unknown to science. Well, and I have a feeling so that much. it's a real we could, animal. We could talk for hours about why why that probably is, but I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, and, and me, I'm not, you know... Uh, a great cryptozoologist or anything you know and I, I normally follow your lead and your advice whenever we deal with anything like this but my own personal f belief and opinion on the patterns of film is that it is authentic and I've watched the digitally enhanced version as well and to me you can see muscles flexing through the hair of the of the skin and the mm -hmm. skin I mean you could to me you can actually see that and you know and not only that but it looks to be female and yeah. the, the reason I think it's real is because if you think about it, back in the day, it was going to be hard enough to create something like that now. Can you imagine the difficulty level it would be to create that back then and to make it female and to make all the muscles move and all of that? I mean, to me, it just seems incredibly difficult and hard to do. And I just don't see it as a, just a costume. 
Yeah, you make great points. The costume technology in uh, October 1967 was very, very horrible. <laughs> you look at Planet of the Apes and some of those ape costumes from the 60s. So we're talking about a rodeo cowboy, you know, that was apparently a you know a passionate guy, but a pretty simple guy. Um, yeah, he wouldn't. And you know, there are other aspects beyond what you described: the muscles moving and the breasts, which if you can see this thing turning in a new. Uh, stabilized and enlarged enhancement the breasts are breasts i mean there's no way that anyone could have fed the way they sway and move back it's like those are real yeah but anyways I mean, um there are other things uh bob gimlin the guy the survive you know patterson died in 72 but gimlin's been around for years i've heard him tell this i've gotten to know him like many people in the bigfoot field i've heard him tell the story several times 15 years apart and it's always exactly the same without a change of detail so he's telling it like it is he looked this thing in the face he didn't believe that they were real he was with patterson just trying to like kind of go along with his buddy and he thought oh these things probably can't be real and then when he saw it he was like holy crap <laughs> it's real right um plus they found footprints they found a whole trackway of footprints eight of which were cast by a guy named Bob Titmus. I've got one of them sitting right here in front of me. And the cast perfectly matched the foot in the video. And they're way too deep in the ground for a human to have made them. So those are two good reasons. And then the other good reason is that the place where it was filmed was actually not that remote. There was a road right up above, and it was a weekend during hunting season. And it's like, if they're going to fake something like this, are they really going to do it on a Saturday you know, in the fall, in like an accessible area right off of roads. So, I mean, it just, there's so many reasons that if you look at it, it, it has to be real. Um, and all of the claims that have come out where people have said that I was the one wearing the suit and all that, people should keep in mind that those are just claims too, right? There's no exactly. evidence just because someone comes out and says, I was that, you know, I shot Kennedy or whatever. Are you just going to believe that person on, on face value? No. I mean, you know, that's a lofty claim any lofty claim has to be met with equally lofty evidence prove that you are the guy in that suit or that you fake that well just just think of all these claims that have been made here lately about people that say that they've shot bigfoot and they've got a body mm -hmm. and uh, remember that big hoopla that they had what a year or two ago where uh, that one individual made that big claim that he had bigfoot's body on ice mm -hmm. and uh yeah. i mean that that all turned out to be just hogwash on that yeah, there was, and he made sixty grand off people coming to pay to see his. Can you believe that? Bigfoot. I mean, so, people I mean, want to see this thing. People want to believe, but whenever we have liars, fakers, people that should not be in that field, creating this illusion that they actually have a body, and people are, you know, paying out good, hard-earned money to see it, you know, that's just plain wrong. I mean, if you're going to do something where. You're going to have a, a, a body of this creature. You happen to uh, come across one. I mean, have you know, have what you have. I, I mean, I mean, if you're going to come out and say it, have it. You know, don't you know, lead people you know to the side and say, oh, here it is, and you know, basically you just have roadkill sewn together. Hmm. Yeah. Well, again, back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Just people should be skeptical. I'm sorry. What were you going to say, Dylan? B but besides the Patterson film, have you ever seen any other pictures or uh, videos that you think are legitimate? Or is that like the one that really stands out? There's nothing in the Patterson-Gimlin League. It's in a league of its own, class of its own. 
Um, but there is um, the second, I guess most researchers would consider the Freeman footage shot by a guy named Paul Freeman in Washington State in the 1990s. Um, you know, it's, but it's just, it's still not good. I mean, you can see the thing looks massive and it looks very natural for the fleeting glimpse that he gets on it. But, um, you know, still, it's, it's just not, not in that league. Um, beyond that, there are other, a few other ambiguous clips. Um, but man, no, I mean, it's just, it's, the, it's so, and consider this too. I mean, the Patterson-Gillen film is good because it's been enhanced and enlarged, but initially, if you looked at the initial footage on a screen, I mean, Patterson, it, this thing looked was like a dot, like, looked like a speck walking away. Cause, and Patterson was shaking and running, and so I mean, he only stable. He managed to fall down and stabilize himself on a fallen log for a few seconds, and you can kind of tell that's when the thing, and and you know, it was in It's all been enlarged, so everything you see on TV and video, that's all an enlarged image of this thing walking. Um, but yeah, I mean, even that. But he had the the wherewithal to to get you know close enough to have the camera ready and stuff. So. Um, but it's still controversial too, right? So I mean, even as good as we think the Patterson film is, a lot of people still think it's fake. So it's it's just kind of uh, highlighting how um, frustrating photographic evidence can be. It is, and it's just so hard to tell nowadays with digital technology what's real and what's fake and what's been tampered with and and whatnot. And I think that's why everybody is where they're at as far as the distrust that goes out whenever anything comes to light but with that in mind everybody stand by we're going to take about five six minutes and we're going to have a short break with a commercial in it and we shall return here in just a few and we're going to be talking with ken gerhard cryptozoologist we're going to be speaking to him in a little bit about his books that he has out what they're about and where you can pick one up so stand by we'll be right back Franklin said, if you do the same thing tomorrow as you did today, you're going to get the same tomorrow as you got today. Changing the world starts with you, and changing you starts with changing the way you think. Late Night in the Midlands can help. Listen to all of our shows at latenightinthemidlands.com, because things really do need to change. You can listen to the LNM Radio Network 24 hours a day, 7 days a week through the Paranormal Radio app. Available from lnmradionetwork.com or talkstreamlive.com on both Android and Apple. Our call to listen line is open 24-7. Dial 701-719-9704 so you can listen on the go. 
The LNM Radio Network and Late Night in the Midlands depends on you, the listener. Without you, there would be no us. So help us continue to bring you the best guests with the best information and subscribe today. Information on becoming an LNM subscriber can be found at the top of LateNightInTheMidlands.com. Just click the About Subscriptions tab and become part of the family while helping the truth stay alive. And while you're at it, maybe subscriptions aren't for you. A one-time donation helps as well. Click that Donate button on the right side of LateNightInTheMidlands.com and help us help you. To hide the truth once you know it makes you think that you are better than everyone else. It makes you into the type of person who says, Ooh, I have a secret, but you're not ready to hear it yet. However, for $39.95, I'll let you in on the secret. You'll lead the people to the promised land for the cheap price of three easy payments of one-third of their soul apiece. Day on 
And we are back with Ken Gerhard, cryptozoologist. We have my co-host. We have Mr. Holiday himself. And we have Mike or Miguel Cantu, who is out of the room right now. But we are back with you, Ken. And how have you been doing here lately, man? You enjoy the break? Too exciting happened. <laughs> it was nice. <laughs> it's kind of a creative song, isn't it? It is, yeah. That was cool. Something a little different. Well, um, tell us a little bit about the books that you have out. Well, um, I should say my newest book, which isn't brand new, it came out uh, in October of 2016, so about a year and a half ago, was called A Menagerie of Mysterious Beasts, Encounters with Cryptid Creatures, and um, it's published by Llewellyn, who's did my last book and it's pretty accessible but i'm very proud of the book it's um one of the things about it is just the range of subject matter so you know most people of course think of cryptozoology and they tend to focus on bigfoot and the yeti the loch ness monster and you know maybe the the chupacabra or jersey devil or something but um there are so many different mystery animals that are reported around the world and have been reported and i've been blessed to investigate so in the book, there are some uh, Bigfoot stories, including the saga of the Minnesota Iceman, something that influenced me at a young age. Um, some uh, never-before-published eyewitness accounts, uh, including a really weird Bigfoot-like creature that was sighted just outside of Houston. This thing had uh, giant black eyes, and it didn't seem like your traditional Bigfoot, something kind of weird. Um, and then there's also things about, you know, we I talk about the Loch Ness Monster and other lake monsters, um, flying cryptids, always one of my favorites, um, the Dog Man and the Beast of Gévaudan, which is something I investigated for a History Channel special, my investigations in Mexico and Central America into different mystery animals, and, you know, just, just a, a wide range of subjects and a lot of, again, a lot of uh, firsthand uh, unedited eyewitness accounts of encounters with unknown animals and mystery creatures. And these are people that I interviewed firsthand, got their permission to use their name, to use their story, and some really riveting stories and tales in there. So for someone that's looking for you know a good variety of subject matter, there's uh, kind of a little bit for everyone in there. So let me ask you, which is your favorite creature to go look look for? Man, that's uh, people ask me that a lot. It's kind of like I always equate it to, you know, if you're a parent to choosing your favorite child, which I guess I've heard some parents can actually do. So, I just <laughs> to um, man, I just I love them all, Eddie. And you know, I tend to focus on things. You know, I kind of you know, depending on what I'm investigating at any given time. So, for example. Um, over recent months, I was really into Bigfoot and investigating some Bigfoot sightings in northeast Texas and Louisiana, uh, western Louisiana, and also attended some Bigfoot conferences. So, um, But before that, we were doing an investigation of some flying cryptids that have been reported recently in Oklahoma. Um, right now, I'm doing getting ready for an investigation into mystery black panthers which many people may have heard of some of your listeners may have heard of but all over north america and europe there are accounts of what are called black panthers which are described as kind of leopard 
or jaguar-sized black cats. Well, the problem with that, of course, is that those types of cats should not exist in North America or Europe. And yet we have a large amount of, uh, a large database of sightings of, from credible people. So we're trying to figure out what these things are and where they're from. You know, are they uh, invasive animals that have escaped from collections? Are they breeding in the wild? Are they black mountain lions, which has never been documented before? So it's a, it's a pretty fascinating mystery. So, you know, to answer your question again, man, I'm just, I, I can't really pick one. I, I really enjoy investigating all of these different types. They're all fascinating. Which one do you think has been the most challenging? And not only to try and locate, but terrain-wise, the hardest to, that you've ever tracked? Well, the, you know, any investigation I've done into, like, lake monsters. I did an investigation of something called Raystown Ray up in Pennsylvania, uh, we've done investigations looking for giant catfish, like monster-sized catfish in the lakes of East Texas, um, some lake monsters in Wisconsin and Canada. So whenever you're dealing with anything in the water, I mean, it's just logistically, it's a whole new ball game, right? You've got to have a lot of high-tech equipment. I mean, you might have a basic sonar fish finder set up, but, you know, you, we try to deploy or have tried to deploy underwater cameras have trained scuba dry, uh, divers on hand, uh, haven't had the money really to do like side scan sonar or have any type of remote activated ROV submarine. That would be pretty cool. But, you know, I mean, how do you investigate and look for something under the water? I mean, especially very deep water. Right. And, and then you have the, the problem with, uh, you know, visibility and if there's any yeah, uh, debris. Dark water, or murky water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a problem, man. It really now, is. But I mean, now you actually so, went and investigated Old Nessie, didn't you? Well, I, I investigated Nessie when I was 15 years old, so I haven't been back in 35 years. I almost, I was almost there in April. I had an opportunity oh, wow. to head up there, and I could, couldn't quite pull it together, but hopefully soon. But um, yeah, it was one of the first, uh, my first attempt at field research is what I tell people because my family. My mother was encouraging my interest in cryptozoology, so she uh, arranged for me and my father to travel up there to Loch Ness and uh, basically spend a week there. And my dad's a huge fisherman, so we we did some fishing on the loch. But uh, I uh, I was uh, walking around with a little eight millimeter movie camera, similar <laughs> similar to Roger Patterson's. I don't know. I think his was sixteen millimeter, but. I was ready to film anything. I was camping, you know, kind of hiking along the lake and sitting down by the lake for long periods of time. And then I also interviewed some of the local people about the monster and was taking notes. And I visited the local Loch Ness museums with all the evidence. So I was, you know, I was trying to do research, but I was, you know, my first attempt, I was only 15. So I was kind of like finding my way. Um, but obviously that experience had a huge impact on my life and kind of um, ignited a fire. Wow, that is so cool that you're actually able to go over there. And that's one of the deepest places around as far as a, a natural uh, lock, you know, as far as that goes. Well, it's uh, the, the deepest accepted uh, or the, the deepest depth that's accepted, I think, is like 770 some feet. Um, but there is an unconfirmed claim of 800 or feet or deeper, but... Yeah, it's it's a deep, it's a you know it's a valley. It was carved out. This this whole area was carved out by the glacial retreats at the end of the Pleistocene, 
and all the glacier melt. And so it's basically, you can imagine like a steep, steep valley between two mountains. That's what Loch Ness is. So it basically, it just goes straight down on both sides or, you know, a little bit of an angle. Pretty steep grade, though. What do you think and, the possibilities uh, are that that Nessie actually lives there? Lives in the lock? Right. Um, you know, I've always kind of favored the theory that the, the Nessie was a, a marine visitor, something that traveled into the lock on occasion, and that's why it's not seen all the time. But, you know, it seems there seem to be clusters of sightings years apart. Um, the only way that it could be an indigenous animal, and this is something I wrote about in my new book, is that, you know, people tend to think of the Loch Ness Monster as either some kind of giant reptile, i.e. a plesiosaur, which is a prehistoric marine reptile, or um, something like that, you know. But there are two theories that are very interesting to me. One is that the Loch Ness Monster or Nessie could be a, an amphibian, something kind of along the lines of a giant salamander or limbless amphibian. And the reason that's an interesting theory is because amphibians, unlike reptiles and mammals, don't have to come to the surface to breathe air very often. Giant salamanders, for example, breathe, actually can have respiration through their skin. It's called subcutaneous respiration. So they can draw oxygen out of the water uh, through their skin, and so they wouldn't have to come to the surface all the time. They could kind of live near the bottom. And then the other interesting theory is that it could be, Nessie could be some kind of giant invertebrate, basically a, like a mollusk, like a big sea slug or something that lives on the bottom. Because people have described it as having kind of glistening, shiny skin and kind of a weird, wormy look. Um, and the other, two, uh, the other thing about those two theories, amphibian and invertebrate, is that maybe Nessie doesn't eat fish, or maybe it's not a predator, but maybe it's a detritivore. Maybe it's something that eats off the bottom, basically, like a benthic feeder. And so, that, again, you know, just trying to build a case for, you know, how something very large could live in Loch Ness and not be seen very often in the surface, and that would explain it. That is so crazy. I mean, I've, I've always believed that it, it that it existed, you know, and... I've always been under the assumption that if it is there, it's deep, it's not coming up, or maybe there are uh, different areas where this thing is actually able to uh, breathe or, you know, underwater caves or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, they've talked about that. But, you know, we talked about logistics earlier. I mean, Loch Ness is, the water is extremely murky and peaty. There's a lot of peat that runs down into the lake and, so there's almost zero visibility. I mean, that's why they've tried to deploy submarines and underwater cameras, and you just can't see anything down there. And it's very deep, as we said. And uh, so, yeah, there could be some, some hiding places down there for sure. Do you think that Champ and Nessie, which Champ is the uh, lake monster on Lake Champlain, do you think that they're like the same creature, or do you think they're two completely different creatures? Because all the sightings are about the same. You know, it's a head poking out, kind of tilted-ish. Yeah, I think they're the same. And I think it's also the same animal in lakes around the world. You talk about Ogopogo in western Canada. There are lake monsters that have been reported from Ireland, Scandinavia, Japan, Russia, Argentina, Australia, you know, other parts of North America. 
the descriptions are all very, very similar around the world, which is very compelling to me as a researcher when you have such consistency. Um, but as you said, the long neck and the small head, that is reported on occasion, but it's more rare than what most people describe as just the hump or several humps that come out of the water that are very large and kind of move in a vertical undulating motion. Um, and also this descriptions and accounts of quote-unquote sea serpents around the world that have been, you know, logged for centuries. And the word serpent could be a bit of a misnomer because we might, we're probably not talking about a serpent or a snake in the traditional sense, just something that has kind of a serpentine appearance at times. What do you make of that, Dylan? I mean, is this something that, that falls along the lines of what you were thinking or, you know, some oh, of the people that you've talked to about cryptids and things of that nature? Oh, definitely. I think it's, it's, it's definitely all the same creature. I mean, to me, you know, they talk about how vast the forest is and how there's, you know, possibly several species of Bigfoot, you know, but the water that's where it's at. That's where the things like the Kraken, like Nessie, like all of these underwater creatures are, you know, and we're hearing about them in books that were written far beyond, you know, our time, mm -hmm. you know, look at Moby Dick. It was based on a, a true experience, you know, and nobody thought at that time that that could happen because whales were known as calm, peaceful creatures, you know? Yep. Yeah, he's right on, Eddie. I mean, 72% of the world's land surface is covered by deep water that averages 12,000 feet deep. And there are some places that are like trenches that are like 25 to maybe 30,000 feet deep, you know, higher than Mount or deeper than Mount Everest is high. I mean, he's right. There could be anything down there. We, we just, well, we just haven't seen yet. What I'm really interested to see is when polar ice caps do start melting, the kinds of things that we're going to be finding in Antarctica where these ice caps are melting, I mean, there have to be a lot of different creatures hidden inside of these massive ice crystals. Well, I agree. I mean, the Mariana Trench, if you put Mount Everest at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, you still have a mile of water above the very peak of Mount Everest. Wow. Yeah, it's you know. Bob was the mind to think about. So, yeah, I think there are definitely things down there we haven't discovered yet. Yeah, so, I mean, there, there's got to be a lot of different creatures and things of that nature that we just don't know about, haven't heard about. And, I mean, let's face it, scientists are finding creatures every day that either, one, they thought were extinct and didn't exist, or, two, we never even knew were here. So, I mean, it's it's an ongoing search. And, I mean, I think as long as we're looking, we're going to continuously find things that we didn't know existed. So, Ken, I got a question for you. Um, so, when you deal with creationists, uh, does anybody ever ask you about these animals that you study saying that, oh, they already exist and they were created by God or... Um, the theory of evolution doesn't even apply to these things or they're just fictitious or, you know, how, how do you address creationists when they try to uh, argue with you? Yeah, that, that is an interesting quandary. Um, there's actually a faction of researchers that I guess could be considered cryptozoologists 
who are investigating accounts of living pterosaurs, which of course are you know pterodactyls, flying reptiles from the dinosaur uh, Cretaceous period, and also accounts of living dinosaurs like the Mokalian Bembe of of the African Congo, things like that. Um, these creationist researchers, they actually their motivation in finding evidence of living dinosaurs and pterosaurs is that they think that that will disprove evolution. Because you know the the uh, long-held uh, doctrine of evolution states that you know you have these different time periods and there are things that are adapted to that time period and then they you know they can't survive when the the environment starts changing too much. Um, I don't know if that's really a good argument when you look at things like crocodiles and realize that crocodiles <laughs> have been around for 200 million years and they're still here. So just because they died out doesn't disprove evolution or just because they're still around doesn't disprove evolution in my opinion but some of these researchers are pretty pretty um um passionate guys and i you know i i work with them on occasion um in terms of exchanging you know sightings and and theories and different things like that so um but you know it's again i i personally tend to follow more of a scientific uh you know or you know traditional scientific kind of uh, ideology which, you know, encompasses evolution as, as pretty much a, a slam dunk. Like, there's there's no way to refute it in my mind, but uh, I'm also respectful of other people's belief systems and, and perspectives and stuff. So. so where are you headed from here, Ken? What's your next step? What are you going to be doing? And what do you have planned out, say, for the next two, three years? Well, man, I, I can't really plan that far ahead Eddie I'm not <laughs> I can plan a little bit but man two to three years I'm not I'm not there yet but you know like I said we're I'm producing this series of co-producing this series of documentaries with my colleague Lyle Blackburn we're we're you know our main concern at this point is just to keep keep the quality there so I mean we're we're not in a rush or a timetable we're just doing good quality uh, documentaries um, I'm always being contacted by people that are having uh, activity on their property or have had an experience or a sighting. Um, some of those leads tend to be explained, debunked, or some people are fabricating, but there are a number of people that are credible and sincere and have had are having uh, encounters with unknown animals. And so I try to investigate some of those. Um, I can't always make it to the location, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll get other researchers involved that you know, maybe you're closer or, um, you know, so, so things like that. So things are kind of popping up all the time. And um, considering, Eddie, that you come, came from law enforcement for many years, we're, we're working in that field. I have an interesting recent sighting. I, I'm not going to give you too much information, so it's going to be kind of a tease, if that's okay. Yeah, but, tease um, me, tease I've me. I've had over the past <laughs> couple of years two of the best um, accounts that I've gotten that involve unknown flying creatures have come from law enforcement officers. The first one was from some Bayer County Sheriff's deputies uh, a couple years ago. And, um, you know, of course, uh, you know, understandably, these guys don't really want to go on the record or have their name published in anything, so I'm respectful of that. But uh, I appreciate the fact that they reached out to me. So this most recent one is from October, this past October, 
and uh, a police officer in Pasadena, Texas, which is just outside of Houston, and I've logged other accounts of flying creatures there, emailed me to tell me that he was responding to a call with two other officers when they saw something large, a large object in the sky. And um, it, they, they actually ended up seeing it a few different times as they moved around the property. Um, he said there was no noise uh, or you know engine noise or anything like that. There were no lights or anything like that. And then when they finally saw it, I guess the second or third time, um, they realized that, that it was a living animal with a wingspan of 15 feet across, which wow. is you know, far larger than a condor or anything else. And then uh, after they left the, the location where they were responding to the call, they talked to another officer over the radio who claimed that he saw it about four miles away shortly thereafter. So, um, you know, these, you know that's kind of like the, the basic outline of this encounter. But uh, apparently four officers all saw this thing and have no idea what it was except that it was a large flying living thing with a 15-foot wingspan. Now, there so are a lot of reports. To get accounts like that. There are Sorry? a lot of reports of thunderbirds in the area, too, so... Yep, absolutely. I mean, there are native traditions of thunderbirds that date back centuries, and I've got a huge database of sightings of, of creatures around South Texas. Uh, and here in San Antonio, we get quite a few of those sightings. So, um, so pretty, pretty fascinating stuff. That is. I mean, that's incredible. And, I mean, I've been called and uh, spoke to people who have claimed to have seen these large birds that have huge, huge wingspans. And, of course, you have that one sighting that's up in Alaska as well where that yep. uh, one guy was flying that puddle jumper. And uh, he said that Thunderbird was pretty much bigger than his puddle jumper that he was flying, which I believe was a I think it was like a little cub or something like that that he was flying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Look at something. Yeah, we have some really remarkable modern sightings. Uh, something like the Ahul that's in Indonesia with a ten feet wingspan. You know, something that they claim is only in the rainforest. That—that's how. That's the first thing I thought of when he was describing these uh, flying creatures in Texas. Is uh, the Indonesian bat creature, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Some of the descriptions describe it as looking somewhat bat-like. But uh, generally, I get two types, two main types in Texas, which are the, the traditional Thunderbird, a large feathered, dark colored bird, you know, with a hooked beak, something like a raptor, an eagle or a condor or a vulture. And then other people describe it as looking more uh, bat-like and having kind of leathery membranous wings and looking more prehistoric. And so maybe either a giant bat or, a, again, a flying reptile, a pterosaur. Well, Ken, we're down to about uh, three minutes before you got to go, but I'd like for you to talk to everybody and let them know where they can find your books, where they can order them, and uh, that way, if people want them, you know, that way we can uh, make sure we have the location for them. Well, thanks again for the uh, opportunity, guys. Thanks Absolutely, for on, Eddie. Always great to talk to you, my friend. Um, and good questions, Dylan. Good conversation. Um, so, yeah, I have a website, KenGerhard.com. Um, has there are links uh, on there to uh, photos and articles and different things. Um, I also can be reached on my Facebook fan page, Ken Gerhard Cryptozoologist. If someone wants to reach to reach out to me, that's a good place to get in touch with me. And uh, you know, if you just uh, kind of go on YouTube and poke around, you can probably find some TV shows I've appeared in and 
Um, of course, my books are available on Amazon, uh, and also uh, you know, I have an author page on Amazon where you can see my books. And also, um, sometimes Barnes & Noble locations will physically have my books on hand. Um, so, yeah, um, if you're interested, uh, please reach out to me or, or go check some of that stuff out. And if you would, can uh Give everybody a list of some of the TV shows you've been on real quick. We didn't cover that, but I'd like to get that out there in case uh, somebody wants to get on the webpage and go back and look at some of your priors. Well, thanks. Um, I hosted a TV series, co-hosted a TV series called Missing in Alaska on the History Channel in 2015. We did one season of 13 episodes, and I hear those are on Amazon Prime, um, not on Netflix, but maybe Amazon Prime and on YouTube. So Missing in Alaska, I appeared on three episodes of a show called Monster Quest, which was pretty popular uh, back in the day. Um, I've been on an episode of Ancient Aliens, the one having to do with deep sea creatures. Um, I was on a show last year called uh, True Supernat. I'm sorry, True Monsters, which appeared uh, on History Channel. I've been on a show called Unexplained Files, a couple episodes of that. Most recently, I was on a show called What on Earth, and I, I don't know if I appeared in more than one episode, but uh, I think that was on the Discovery Science Channel. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Ken. I appreciate it. Ken Gerhardt, everybody. Uh, please support him. Go and like his pages and order his books, because I'm telling you, he's done a great job. He's put a lot of effort, put his whole heart into this thing, and he's more than that, he's put his whole life into it. Ken, we appreciate you very much, man. You are a true friend and an expert in your field, and we appreciate everything that you're doing. Appreciate you guys. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Take care. And stand by, everybody, for this break. And when we come back, it'll be open lines, and I'll be giving you a phone number. So prepare for that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you the phone number right now so you can get it ready on your telephones. It's going to be area code 915-208-4438. That's 915-208-4438 for open lines, and we'll be expecting your phone calls. We'll be back after this. And of course, those ever fearsome hostile radio show hosts. It works on them all. Get Troll Spray today, available only at LM Radio Network. Spray the trolls away with Troll Spray. Why subscribe to Late Night in the Midlands, you ask? Well, I'll tell you why. Late Night in the Midlands covers everything, and through the thousands of expert guests who have joined Michael Vera on his show, come pieces of the big puzzle, which started many years ago. Michael and his guests reveal information dating back to the beginning of time. To this very moment, Michael Vera not only brings you the best guests with the best information, but Michael is not afraid to call out those who are less than honest. You see, in this day and age, we need a radio show we can count on and a radio host we can trust to expose the truth one show at a time. So become a late nighter and subscribe now. Talk radio like no other. Late Night in the Midlands, bringing the truth back to talk radio. Great fear and trembling shall seize even to the ends of the earth. The earth shall be hurt, and all things will try and perish. 
while judgment shall come upon all, even upon all the righteous. Behold, he comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon them and destroy the wicked. Yet as God has appointed, so are all things brought to pass. No peace shall be to you. Do you think social media is the end-all be-all? Do you live and breathe by Fakebook and other platforms? Do you spend hours and hours endlessly going through posts by alleged friends in an endless quest to have a life? You need FakeAway, available exclusively through the LM Radio Network. Our crack scientific teams have worked tirelessly to perfect this product and have made it available to you through this limited offer. FakeAway can solve the problems suffered by you and many others. It can help you understand you have been snowed by the fake media, the social media biases you encounter every time you click refresh, and even help your hair grow by keeping you from pulling it out over the smallest offenses. Get FakeAway today, only through LM Radio Network. Fakeaway is not for shills, disinfo agents, lovers of politicians who keep screwing the country, constant end-of-the-world predictors, liars, hostile radio show hosts, or snowflakes. Only love 
fingers And I'd like so quiet so still Did not seem to feel Or even to dream with everybody i hope everybody did good during the break and enjoyed the playlist that we had i always have some just decent kind of playlist going on and what i'm going to do is i am fixing to do this and now isn't that cool i love the way that kind of does it but yeah for the people just with audio ears yeah. on uh eddie just switched the video feed so now we got Dylan, since Ken is gone from the uh, interview, the call-in already, we're taking people's phone calls on our uh, phone line on Skype, and uh, you can reach us, uh, talk directly to Eddie if you got any questions, talk to Dylan, talk to me, Miguel, 
Uh, number is 915-208-4438, and you can get a hold of us directly while we're doing the show. Yeah, now I want somebody to call in, so somebody's going to have to call in, in and uh, speak with us about cryptozoology. Maybe Renee should call us in because he hasn't gotten the, the link yet to get into the Renee should do a call in. Renee needs to Renee needs to actually be on here. <laughs> but Renee, if you're listening and you're out there, I know you were running late, so let's uh like, you know, step on it a little bit and uh you know, let's get to the show over here. So anyway, he's supposed to be on here. So Dylan, tell me, man, what did you think of uh Ken Gerhardt and some of the things that he was saying about cryptozoology? Is he You gotta turn is he on? Yeah. This one. <laughs> he brought up a lot of the same points that I brought up. Like we every week, Eddie, I'm talking about consistency in stories. The only thing we don't we do disagree on is, of course, you know, I think Mothman's like, you know, the one solid, the one <laughs> solid creature out there. You know, Mothman has five people, the five original men uh, that saw him, the two couples that later saw him, and various people later that claimed to have seen him, you know? But, um, we agree on pretty much everything, you know? Um, consistency is key. If these stories aren't consistent, they're not true. That's the way that I look at it. Yeah, and that's what you were telling me the last time we were talking, is mm -hmm. that you look at things that when the stories are consistent especially when they're scattered all over the place, but they're mm -hmm. still consistent as far as being the same, then it, for you, it tends to be a lot more valid. Yep. Um, did my knowledge of a little uh, cryptozoology surprise you? Eddie? It, it really did. I was show? like, it's like, man, I was like, he's, he, he knows something about this. This is all right. His homework. Yeah. I like that. Well, I, I came with my with my game face, you know. <laughs> Baseball's over now. I can focus on uh, on the show here. <laughs> but uh, you know, all these creatures, they they really do. They all fascinate me. You know, uh, going as far back as some of these creatures, uh, creatures like the Beast of Bray Road, which was legitimately like, like a giant uh, hairy creature that was spotted in Wisconsin, I believe. But mm -hmm. it was in like nineteen thirty something 1936 1939 it was in the 1930s you know so before we had this research now am i saying that that couldn't have been a hoax no but i'm saying in 1936 you know i kind of just believe it <laughs> well you know? why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what the creature of bray road is all righty um Oh man, great! I pulled up the Wikipedia, so I actually know. What I'm about. <laughs> so, uh, what it says here is that. Oh man, I got my year right. Uh, 1936 on a rural road outside of Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Um, it's also been a, the same label. The Beast of Bray Road has been a, uh, applied to other sightings in southern Wisconsin and northern Illinois. Uh, pretty much what it says here is that it's described as a hairy Bigfoot type creature within 400 to 700 pounds. Now you were, I thought for a moment there, I thought you were describing Miguel. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Hey, he has, a, he has a better beard than I do. And that's, that's you know, <laughs> a little fuzzy. I'm, I'm going for it. But, um, yeah, you've Pretty heard that. It. You've heard that old old saying, "Fuzzy was he was a bear." Mm. <laughs> but you know, all <laughs> something else that I, I talked about earlier was um, 
You know, the different races of these big feet or big feats. I don't know. I don't know big how foot. you describe Big foot. Yeah. Um, when there's multiple different races, you know, uh, you have uh, the Beast of Bray Road. You have the generic Bigfoot. You have the Yeti. You know, I wonder how these things are You've classified. Got this, you, in Florida, they call it the Skunk Ape. I didn't know that. I was unaware See, of that. That's another one in Florida. They call it the Skunk Ape. Which is a lot like the, the north. It's kind of like the kind of like the uh, northwestern Bigfoot, but it's smaller. But they mm-hmm. they call it the skunk ape because they said it it stinks like a skunk. You can smell it for a long way, and uh, but it is another uh, bipedal type, you know, uh, cryptid, which you know, ape like uh, that supposedly hangs around the swamps in that kind of area. <laughs> So, yeah, so, I mean, you've got that one as well. Yeah. Um, See, I feel like you guys in Texas have the most luck with these creatures. You have big feet. You have mysterious flying creatures. You have um, uh, the uh, chupacabra. You know, you guys have everything down there. Up here in Pennsylvania, Yeah, there's woods. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. Now, what was it that... You you read about the other day that when we were, that you and I were talking that you have there in Pennsylvania all as well. We, we read about these dogmen. I was you had you uh, we were reading about these dogmen and there were two um, consistent stories uh, <laughs> in Pennsylvania, but two separate areas. One of the areas being very close to my homeland, which you're so, happy about. I know. I, Oh yeah, you know, but but what the two stories were is, is the the one story is being told. Um, well, there were three stories, but the one lady told two stories. The first story was about her husband. Uh, he was coming home. It was late at night, and um, he went around a bend and he saw this giant dog-like creature. You know, um, seven feet tall, buff like Arnold. You know. Um, and he just, you know, let it go. The second story she told was about her friend who had the same exact experience. Um, except the creature was running next to the lady's vehicle and it was keeping up going 70 miles an hour. The other story that another person had told was a hunting story where they were out hunting and, you know, they saw this creature and just they froze and stayed up in their tree stand the whole day. And there was nothing more to the story other than that. That story slightly different, though, because it seemed like they were dealing with a little dog man, not a normal sized dog man. <laughs> yeah, just a small one. You know, it could still yeah. tear your head off. But. Yeah, of course, which is terrifying. I, I still like the fact that you have these creatures close to you. I think that's oh, cool. Oh, they yeah. Let me tell you, it will go hunting. Um, <laughs> because I don't have I, an elephant. It, it, it just another <laughs> set of eyes. You are another set of eyes keeping a lookout for these creatures because you have them right there next to your house. Oh yeah, and and, and truthfully, that's honest. You know, I've I've been looking. I've been I've been actually trying to talk to other people from that area because I know a lot of people from that area. I've been like asking them, and I have no one. No one's told me anything yet, but I'm hoping somebody comes forward with a nice little story you know dylan i'm really curious what your friends think about some of these stories that you're telling them now that you're on the show with us and what their opinions are 
Oh, they're they're really fascinated. You know, like I said, my whole baseball team is rallying behind this, and they love you guys. You know, other than the fact they thought Renee was a girl. You know, he he has. The, <laughs> uh-huh. you, know, you know, they heard the first. We were listening to the show one day. I was playing it, and, and they just go, "You, you know, you announced the beginning. You know, we have my co-host Renee," and they're like, "Ooh!" And I'm like, "Guys, it's a man." Like, you know, <laughs> they. Kind of a hairy man, <laughs> but but they love they love the show and they really love that I'm on it, um, and, and they love that you know you guys give me this uh, platform. You well, know? you know you know Dylan, I've known you for quite a long time, man, and oh, yeah. you know nobody better to get on here and and help with the co-host as well as getting you on here. And not only that, like I told you before, I mean this gives us a younger person's opinion. You know, the people that are growing up that are now just starting to start their lives, you know, and their professional type uh, uh, careers and that kind of a thing. To me, it's like it's being able to see what the future for paranormal investigations is going to look like, because there's still people out there such as yourself that's interested in all these different topics. I think investigations are only on the rise, and it's because of shows like this, because of you know shows like the ghost adventures or whatever the ghost hunters and all these different shows shows like monster quest i was really young when monster quest was on and i loved that show i wish they had it on netflix or something i don't know where you can find it see and it was cool now that you were being able to talk to somebody who was on that show yeah exactly it's cool and i and i'm fascinated with all these different creatures you know Uh, this is the one thing that i i excel i excel at (laughs) you know um but just so because there's so many questions that don't have answers. There's so many creatures that we don't know about, you know, um, like this mysterious flying creature of Texas, which as of now, I don't even think has a title. It's uh, they, they call them thunder. About, they call them thunderbirds. OK. Have you ever seen one? Eddie? <laughs> um, I, you know, I've had so many people report these things to me, you know, over the years. Uh, where they've been seen, you know, on bridges, and they're absolutely huge. I mean, I cannot fathom seeing a bird with a 15-foot wingspan. Oh, that's terrifying. You know, it's just, you know, we have great horned owls out here that are just absolutely huge. They're ginormous. And, uh, I mean, they could literally lift a small dog up and and take off with it. But, you know, to have a, a creature that is with a wingspan of 10 plus feet, 15 feet, you know, that could carry off you know five six year old child i mean that's <laughs> that you know that's that's incredible to me i mean think about it i mean it was like living back in the dinosaur days where you step outside got to check both ways for t-rex you know before yeah. you you know proceed forward yeah that just reminds me of the scene in the proposal where the owl snatches the dog you know yeah <laughs> oh, now, now mike i mean you've been on a lot you've been on all the investigations with us because you're yeah. the one filming mm-hmm. But I mean, what's your take on all this? I mean, you sit there. He Mike sits here quiet all the time, you know, while we're talking about all this stuff. And you literally got to, you know, reach over to him and smack him like sometimes, yeah, sometimes. like that, just mm-hmm. to get his attention and get him to talk. But I mean, what's your opinion on all this? I know you're the well, skeptic I mean, of like, the group. Like you were saying, like it, you know, there's a plenty of reports of these Thunderbirds in Texas, and I think you know. The first thought that's going to come across any Texan's mind is, what do these things taste like? So if somebody's going to want to shoot one of these things out of the air and try to barbecue it. It's and amazing see, you know, nobody what, has shot it yet. Right. I would think that somebody would want to 
track these things down as exotic game and sell exotic meats for these things. Uh, so as right away, as, you hear Thunderbird, and you're thinking barbecue. Barbecue chicken. He's yeah. thinking like money. That. That's what he's thinking. Um, yeah, so, but, I mean, these things could be endangered species. So, I mean, that kind of takes that off the table. But, uh, yeah, but I'm could sure you there are imagine people the size of your Thanksgiving I'm, I'm sure dinner? I'm wondering, like, what a Bigfoot tastes like as well. I mean, no, I've, I've never wondered what a Bigfoot <laughs> tastes like, honestly. It's awful. Yeah. Um, yeah, but. Sautéed so Bigfoot, just a big foot and just like i get the big toe that one's mine i'm sure there's plenty of animals like you just said i am i am a big skeptic um that are still undiscovered animals the fact that most cryptids are large in size uh is a little harder pill to swallow for most people um just because there's plenty of open spaces and not open not so much open spaces that have been um explored by people to where at least one should have shown up in this you know span of time of humanity documenting all history of all accounts of any animal ever discovered so the fact that there's so many accounts but never real proof of these things is is a little disheartening for anyone involved in paranormal research um but you know i'm, I'm still like anybody else in this in this field uh wanting to keep an open mind and hoping that you're still on the fence still on the fence a little bit yeah well you know there like i said before there's so many people that are discovering new and interesting type creatures all the time you know there i i i I would hate to think that there are thousands of people who are witnessing these things that really aren't witnessing them you know i mean how can that even be possible you know, you have thousands well, and thousands I mean, the, of reports. It could be like, uh, you know, some somebody says that, oh, I saw an alien. They give a description. Somebody else wants to have that kind of attention. So they say, oh, I saw the same kind of alien yeah, but, because it's going based off the same kind of description. Wouldn't you hate to think that there are that many people out there who are just starving yeah, for that kind I, of attention? Yeah, I do hate it, but it's reality. I mean, we've come across so many people that, that play with hoaxes and... and you know, go with stories that have already been regurgitated so many times, and people want to believe. So that's why they they do tend to flock to those kind of stories anyway. So, do you think it's always been that way, or do you all, think like the stories from like the no? 1930s, I think there there is some legitimacy to, to some of them. They they have to come from somewhere, right? You know, uh, but you know there there's all kinds of things that people can just imagine up. Well, what about uh, over in tech here in Texas, where uh, back in the 1800s they saw that cigar-shaped object that crashed through that windmill and crashed into the dirt and they had that one uh, supposed alien from somewhere else that they found dead on the in the wreckage and they mm-hmm. buried the wreckage, buried the alien and since the alien's been removed from that grave and gone. But we know that actually happened because there was a newspaper article from back then showing it mm-hmm. along with uh, some sort of either picture or drawing or something that took place during that time. I mean, that, that depicted this whole uh, scenario of, of uh, events that took place, right. and back then you got to remember we didn't have anything that could fly like that. Mm-hmm. And now we do. Now we and do. now we have the ability and capability of tracking these things down and videotaping them, and it's still hit and miss, and kind of you know it doesn't really happen too often. So, and I believe there was also a report of a Bigfoot encounter that took place back in the I want to say early. 1700s that was documented in writing where a group of explorers were actually attacked by some Bigfoot creature and several members of that uh, 
expedition were killed mm. and they ended up hunting and tracking down this creature with muskets and put it down and but no one knows what happened to its remains at mm -hmm. the time that's so convenient you know but you're talking 1700s right you know so i mean they ate it they barbecued it and ate it it, they, they had did. barbecue Bigfoot. I mean, you never know. I mean, think about it, though. I mean, that back then, I mean, could have been to them, you know, just some big animal and, you know, it's food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Well, um, so the other animals that have been uh, researched by Ken, he does have some proof and some, like, more more evidence of their existence than the average person. So Ken works with several other cryptozoologists around the country even out of the country doesn't he he travels a lot um with you and your cryptid investigations uh like we just went on one uh this past weekend in the dallas area and waco area uh what are signs that you look for when you're going on a cryptid investigation well i like first of all i like to make sure i have enough witness documentation to support something being that area in in a, in a certain area the more the better because the more witnesses you have the more possibility the more the possibility is of actually finding some evidence there um say you've got you know more than a handful of witness sightings of some certain creature that might be in an area i'm going to be looking for hair samples i'm going to be looking for uh different types of footprints so, you know especially in your riverbeds because mm -hmm. you know they got to drink I'm going to be looking for scat. I'm going to be looking for all kinds of things that I'm going to be able to, uh, to, to gather and have tested. And, you know, you're going to want to have these things tested. Because along with witness documentation, if you have evidence to back it, especially if some of the DNA samples come back from some of this evidence that you've collected, and it's an unknown, now you've got a real case in front of you. Mm -hmm. You know, but... Most of the time, I want to say 99% of the time, you're going to find that most scat or hair samples that you find are from known species in the area. And a lot of times, some of the prints you find are either placed there by people or are misinterpreted as something else at the time due to maybe the conditions, uh, maybe the animal slipping or something like that, which may stretch a print or do something. But you've got to look for these signs of a print maybe where they stepped in mud and the paw slipped mm -hmm. and maybe created this long or another step another yeah, paw print or on another top paw of that print one. on top of that one that kind of extends mm -hmm. it so i mean there's a lot of different things that you have to look for and kind of decipher between when you're out searching for these animals but i think the witness testimony along with the evidence that you gather is what you're it's going to give you your basic knowledge of what's going to be in the area well everybody stand by we have had no callers yet remember call in we gave you the number it's in the chat so look forward in there and give us a call back when we come back right now we got to take a quick break stand by and here we go t-r-o-l-l-s this is a terrible new disorder being diagnosed every day victims of this disease have been found in psychologists scientists doctors other people with letters and numbers behind their names, and anyone else who is in the world specifically to cause trouble. It stands for Totalitarian Regime Orchestrating Laughable Liar Syndrome, and is a terrible burden on anyone around those that have been diagnosed with this disease. Symptoms may include debunking all truths, diversion tactics, 
divisive talk, and flame war baiting, COINTELPRO tactics and maneuvers, and making rude and obnoxious comments even where such things are not warranted. You can help cure the problem by opening your eyes to the facts, speaking about this disorder to anyone you know, and not allowing their disease to influence your life. If you or someone you know has been diagnosed with trolls, please seek immediate assistance by going to latenightinthemidlands.com and listening to all of the shows that are available. Only you can prevent trolls. This message brought to you by IRA, the Independently Reporting Association. Thank you for your support. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. Nothing more. If you find yourself angry over the wealth gap and the way the financial system and banks are set up, or you find yourself looking for non-genetically modified foods because you refuse to consent to being a science experiment to Big Bio and Big Chem, or perhaps you have abandoned your trust in government and religion altogether, then you might be an RDS, a radical danger to society, otherwise known as a terrorist. Other possible terrorist activities include, but are not limited to, taking pictures, coughing, sneezing, wheezing, smiling, not bathing, listening to the secret teachings, asking questions to authorities, distrust in authority, owning a gun, reading history books, reading non-Kinsian economic books, listening to Late Night in the Midlands, turning off your television, going outside, water purification, having goosebumps, laughing, wearing jeans, purchasing ammunition, purchasing medical supplies, listening to open eyes radio, purchasing bulk food, noticing geoengineering trails, refusing to pay back your student loans, informing others, breathing, listening to the Red Pill reality show, blinking, thinking, farting, choking, and sleeping. Other forms of terrorism include disassociation, with all political parties, protesting, freely speaking your mind, freely expressing your opinions, and in some cases that are extremely severe, paying with cash, being concerned about food, water, vaccines, and believing that the medical industry and military run tests on unsuspecting citizens regardless of the evidence to prove its existence. If you don't want to be an RDS, a radical danger to society, then turn on your television, get a credit card, buy the 13th season of Honey Boo Boo on Blu-ray, get fast food for dinner, and stop purifying your water and looking for clean food, or you may be diagnosed with orthorexia nervosa too. For more ways to become an RDS, a radical danger to society, simply tune into the LM Radio Network now 24 hours a day. And we are back with everybody. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Have uh, Dylan Holiday, my co host. We have uh, Miguel Cantu, our produ- producer and director. And we have open lines going on right now. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or anything at all, or any of the above. Give us a call and let us know what's on your mind. So we've been talking about cryptids today, uh, but we can't open topics up to anything, uh, just because we're we're always limited. And when we when we bring up any kind of cryptid investigation, you know, mo- most of the paranormal occurrences that are hot and the topics that people <coughs> want to go and discuss are hauntings, aliens, UFOs, not so much cryptids, just because I, I don't know why. I, I don't know if that's just 
um, easier to believe than something out of this world or something from another dimension or realm or something like that. Uh, it, do you think that's probably the case? Why you know cryptid science isn't more commonly accepted and sought after? I, I actually think it's more accepted than what most people think, and the reason of that reason for that is that we constantly have scientists that are documenting and proving that certain types of animals exist, certain insects, birds, uh, mammals, uh, fish. I mean, things are being discovered every day. So until they're discovered, they're actually they actually fall under the cryptid category. But you uh, you think that the actual study of cryptid animals is just more commonly accepted because of that? Because people are always looking for actual animals or insects or anything that can explain what these uh, unknown animals are, as opposed to somebody wanting to research the existence of ghosts or the existence of aliens and UFOs? I think mainly being because I think it's easier in certain ways to prove the existence of an animal because you actually have a creature, a body, something you can mm -hmm. produce. So how come we don't have bodies of Bigfoot? How come we don't have bodies of uh, Loch Ness Monster or all these other cryptid animals? And some of them are, most well, are debunked as being, you know, either mutations of another one or uh, disfigured uh, or partially decomposed corpses of other things. But, you know, we don't have any remains of these other things. We don't have any fossils of these other you know, well, see, things that have asked, been around for a while. You just asked the million-dollar question. You know, why don't we have these things? I think, with concerning Bigfoot, I think, honestly, I think they're just more intelligent than we are as far as burying their dead or, or putting their dead to rest somewhere. I, th and and I kind of find it hard to believe that they're able to gather up all their dead, but at the same time, I feel that there may be areas or places such as like what elephants use, which they have an elephant boneyard where elephants go to pass away. If an elephant feels like it's gonna die, a lot of times if there's a certain area these uh, elephants go to, they'll travel to a certain spot, which is just a big boneyard of other elephants where they go and lay down and die. So maybe that would be kind of the same case with a Bigfoot, or they may be intelligent enough to say, you know what, we're gonna take the, our dead and we're gonna place them somewhere else and bury them to where they're not seen again. Or maybe there's just so many scavengers in the area that they live that yeah. they just get picked clean and you never see but them. But even at again. that, I mean, we find deer bones and things like that. And granted, we don't find every deer that's died while we're out and about. But, you know, uh, I think that if there was a larger population, we might stand a better chance. But I do think that they do something with their dead. When you're talking creatures such as Nessie, you're talking animals that size mainly consist of a lot of cartilage. You're talking extremely deep water. Cartilage isn't going to be around for very long. Uh, you've got all types of burrowing creatures and, and invertebrates and things of that nature which live on the bottom in the mud or the muck, which burrow into the bone and, and destroy the bone matter and, and feast off of it. Uh, so basically nothing goes to waste in the, in the water. So I don't think we're ever going to find a skeletal remains of something like that while it's still in water or it, it gets buried in the mud unless of course thousands of years from now that water dries up and we end up with the fossilized uh, creature there you know mm -hmm. but that's not going to do us any good right now you right. know we need we're, we're trying to find out these answers now what do you the think polar Joe? ice caps 
the polar ice cap. Oh, we got a call coming in, everybody. Stand by. Let me uh, bring this caller in. Hello, and who do we have today? Oh, this is Leslie. Leslie. Wait, is this Leslie Mitz? It is. Leslie. <laughs> Leslie Mitz, everybody has written a book. I, I've known Leslie for quite a while. We've all known Leslie, actually. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you on, Leslie. And uh, tell everybody what your book is. Oh, it's uh, Like Androids, Super Soldiers, and the Freedom War. It's uh, primarily like a fictional primer about the um, Lycan creatures, the Dogman, uh, written in a fictional format just to kind of you know, ease people into the idea that they're real instead of just shocking them, people that really don't know. Well, let me ask you this. Did you hear the last question we were talking about is why there, we don't find any remains? What's your take on that, Leslie? Well, until I found out about dogmen, I spent as much time in forested areas as anybody you would ever find. And this is starting from when I was about four or five years old. I would leave after breakfast, spend all day in the woods, uh, usually not even come home for lunch. And I did that all of my life. And I would frequently uh, spend the weekend alone, even without a tent, in the woods. And I was never afraid. And in all of that time, I have no memory, honestly, of ever coming across any kind of a skeleton, unless it was just maybe a, a dead bird, you know, I saw nothing. And I was in areas where there were just, you know, bear and all kinds of, uh, you know, bobcat, things like that. Never saw a single skeleton. Now, why do you think that is? I mean, what, what, what comes to mind and why do you think we're unable to locate the bones of some of these creatures and hidden animals? Well, as far as just regular animals... You know, as soon as they die, you know, they instantly start to decay. And all these predators that feed on something like that zoom in and eat it alive. And I know when I used to uh, uh, brain tan, um, you know, deer hides and all that, and if I had a skull, I would just put it out and, I hate to say it, maggots, you know, whatever. They would just clean it, slick as a bone, in not much time at all. And, of course, you know, Ben's... Uh, Bones tend to get scattered, you know, dragged off by other predators and gnawed on and that sort of thing. And, you know, they get dirty and sometimes covered up by falling leaves. And, you know, it just sort of disappears. But I, I really feel like the uh, Bigfoot, I think, I really feel like they bury their own. They're too civilized. And I know several people around the country that do that mind-speak communication with them, and they've gotten information from them and so forth, and it's almost like just communicating with people. So I really don't think they would leave their dead to just deteriorate in the forest. But what if they were some sort of uh, interdimensional creature? Do you think they might go back from where they came before they pass, or carry their dead into some other dimension i mean and, and not only that but you know speaking with several people i mean we've heard uh, people who've seen creatures that were dead on the side of the road or on the, on in trails that uh they couldn't identify and then later come back and everything's cleaned up and gone like they were never there yeah true well 
I really feel like um, Bigfoot is basically interdimensional, but I've heard from some people that do the mind speak that a lot of them don't go back and forth through a portal anymore, if that's how they do it, because they say that there's other things coming back and forth through that portal that they don't want to encounter. And uh, one time when I was um, spending a weekend out in the woods, a long, long weekend, um, I was just sitting on a tarp, leaning back against the tree. It was probably 10 or 11, midnight, something like that. And all of a sudden I heard something walking right behind me, stopped right behind my tree and just stood there like it was looking at me and then walked on. But the thing is, I didn't hear it coming from far off. It's like all of a sudden it was behind me, maybe about 15 feet, you know, say east, and then walked behind me maybe about 15 feet west, and then it just stopped. It's almost like it may have come into this dimension, walked a little ways, and then left. Because, you know, there were a lot of leaves on the ground, and I would have thought I would have heard it longer coming and going. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that had to have been a Bigfoot because it was just too dark. I mean, a <coughs> human wouldn't have been walking out in the woods in pitch dark without a flashlight. And I was in such a remote area. I mean, it was probably miles from any other human, and I, I think it had to have been a Bigfoot. But. Yeah, it's almost like it just appeared and then disappeared. Now, what do you think about that, Dylan? Um, I I, I don't know how how I feel about that. Interdimensional travel is something that I don't know if I can get behind. I I, I don't know. I guess that the story definitely seems legitimate of of this creature coming up behind her, but in, in my mind... I feel like these creatures are heard when they want to be heard, and when they're seen and they don't want to be seen, they do something like like what happened in the Patterson picture. It kind of just kept walking. It didn't do anything crazy. It just kept walking, probably trying to throw the people that were looking at it off, probably trying to make these people think it was some type of bear or, or something, some other creature. They probably didn't want it to know, oh, yeah, I'm a Bigfoot, you know? Hmm. That's interesting as well. I mean, there's a, there's there's a lot of different theories that go up with that. Uh, we did have Renee Rodriguez, my other uh, host, join just now. He just made it to the show with a uh, couple of minutes to spare, so we're fixing to switch him over. <laughs> just barely made it by the There he is, team. everybody. <laughs> Say hi, Renee. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> he is with us now. You missed a, You missed a great beginning of this whole thing. Uh, man, I'm sorry I missed it. I had, I had uh, prior engagements. Uh, my daughter was in a choir, uh, so uh, I had to go watch her. <laughs> Renee, I was smart today. And you Understandable. <laughs> so we have we have Leslie Mitts on the line right now, and uh, we're talking right now about all cryptids, of course, and we're talking about you know why some of these creatures, uh, we've never found evidence of, say, any remains or anything like that from these creatures that have maybe passed away. And uh, she was given some explanations as far as interdimensional and possibly, you know, taking their dead and being smart enough to do that. Dylan's kind of having a hard time with the interdimensional thing, but, you know, he's saying that maybe some of these things may be misidentified possibly as maybe bears and other things of that nature. So uh, we're, we're getting kind of everybody's, t- in, you know, thoughts on it. What do you think? 
Well, uh, a lot of reasons why we don't find uh, some of the reasons we don't find, you know, like uh, Bigfoot, for example, you, you never find a carcass is that, uh, you know, in the forest, we hardly ever find any bones to, you know, really think about it. You hardly ever find any bare bones. Uh, animals get to it and they scatter the bones and the bones and the fur and everything kind of rots in the ground and gets buried. So it's, it's a very slim chance we're going to find anything like that. The whole interdimensional thing. Uh, maybe, maybe not. It's probably more than not, but um, I really do think that the scavengers end up scattering the carcass all around. So it's a very slim chance we're going to find anything out there other than maybe some fur, maybe some bones. But um, for the most part, people are not going to be looking. You know, they're going to be walking around. They're going to see a bone. They're like, eh, whatever. They're going to just keep on walking by. It's hard. It's going to be very, very rare. We're going to find a, an intact body of anything out in the woods or in the desert. Anything like that at all is very difficult to find. Well, not you only know, that, if you've, ever, at it. if you've ever given your dog a bone or an antler, dogs can chew up bones. You know, imagine what a creature bigger than a dog could do to a bone. Oh, yeah. And we got, you know, there's plenty of insects out there. Uh, plenty of birds are going to eat it, you know, and sc- you know, scatter all the bones. Of course, some of the bigger predators will definitely chomp on it and just, it's going to scatter it or going to take it somewhere else. So, and, and more likely, you're not going to find bones like in a path. We hardly ever go a path. Humans are, are freaked out about going off the path. How many times have we gone on a, you know, an adventure and really gone off the path? It's very rare. You know, especially people that are not looking for these things. Well, the ones that do, they, they usually don't survive. Big old park path. I'm sorry? The ones that do go off the path, they usually don't survive. <laughs> yeah, that's true. What do you think, Leslie? Do you think that's, uh, you know, what Renee said, do you think that's true, or do you think that's true in some cases? I mean, what's your opinion? Yeah, I mean, the scavengers, it pretty much takes care of everything, but on the uh, topic again about interdimensional, you know, I had a strange weekend that made me a believer in that. You know, um, I don't know, probably no one's ever heard of the Bell Witch. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, really, yeah. you have? Okay. You, you have well, got to, um, you have got was, to was say that story, fine, Leslie. The sheriff of that county called me to come over because some things were happening there in that county, Robertson County, north of Nashville. Uh, in fact, Al Gore's tobacco farm is just right about there but it's a little town of adams tennessee that's known for the bell witch which wasn't really a witch it was more like a disembodied demon and i had never heard of it until i was in college and my college roommate mentioned something about the bell witch and you know she was from shelbyville near nashville and i'm in chattanooga further southeast and I'd never heard of it until college, and then I forgot about it until I was, um, when I did interior design, I was leaving a house call in that area, and I saw the sign that said Adams, and I thought, why does that ring a bell? Then I saw this big sign in front of the courthouse about it being the home of the Bell Witch. So um, anyway, that was my first time there, and then the sheriff called me to come back over because of all the weird stuff going on, and I took uh, my best friend with me, who was an artist, to draw some of these things that people were going to describe, because um, I went to visit the uh, sheriff's deputy and also the librarian there and other people that lived in the town, and that was a weekend of the strangest stuff I have ever heard in my life, that even if it was in a 
horror movie, you would find it hard to believe. You know, it wouldn't even be believable as a scary movie. I mean, stuff I just could not believe. And uh, story after story, and people were absolutely petrified. And even the vet, I talked to him about some strange things that had been done to people's animals. And then when Catherine and I were leaving, the exit to get off this road to get back up on the entrance to the interstate um, disappeared. So we were like, where did it go? It was there. And so we went down, turned around, came back, and it was there, but we couldn't make a turn in that direction to get back on it. So we went on down the road a little bit ways and then came back, and it was gone again. And we had to go back and forth, I don't know, maybe eight times until the ramp appeared to where we could actually get on it. It was like we were in another dimension. And the strange things that are seen and that occurs there, I honestly have no other explanation than it's some kind of a weird portal dimension because of all the weird things that happen. I mean, there's even been reports in newspapers about tourists driving through town and getting the run off the road by an elephant suddenly appearing and just weird animals like a a black dog that's been appearing for like 200 years that doesn't have a head. I mean, uh, even Andrew Jackson was almost killed by that demonic bell witch. It turned over his uh, wagon, and then at dinner that night when he went to have dinner with the Bell family, needles appeared in everybody's soup. And then it's even thrown cannonballs at people. I mean, it's just uh, one crazy place I would never, ever want to go back to again because I really, we were so upset trying to get out of there that we were virtually in tears. And I said right then and there, if I ever get out of here, I will never go back again. And my only explanation is interdimensional portal, unless y'all have got a better explanation for it. Hey, I can't hear you there. Oh, hey, Dylan, you're cl- you're closer to them than we are. Yeah, hey, I'll tell you this, too. I actually know a little bit about the Bell Witch, so I'm going to be smart twice today. Oh, um, you ah, go. The wow. dog that she's talking about, uh, I've never heard that it didn't have a head. I was always told that it had the head of a rabbit. Now, I don't know if that's true. No. I've never I was heard the rabbit head. It's always a headless black dog. I was always told it was a black dog with the head of a rabbit. and But apparitions, yes, they're like, with the Bell Witch, that's very common. People are claiming to see things like elephants. Um, the the road stories, I haven't heard any of those where, like, you're seeing a ramp, and then the ramp's not there, and then the ramp's back. I've never heard one of those, but I definitely believe it, knowing what I know about the Bell Witch and the, all the apparitions. And, yeah, you're 100% accurate. People are claiming to see elephants. They're claiming to see some weird, weird things in that territory. Yeah, that's the moonshine. So what is what is the bell witch supposed to be? Is that is supposed to be a, a you said it was supposed to be a demon or a deceased person? No, um from everything I've read and heard about it, uh this bell witch never actually existed. Uh, she was some kind of a disembodied spirit that was apparently brought about by one woman cursing another family and you know, there have been reports, you know, especially back during the era of the Bell family, that the uh, the spirit would even go to church and would sing hymns and had a beautiful singing voice and then would 
often go back to whoever's home was hosting like lunch after church and would even discuss the sermon and uh, oh, so would make uh, fruit materialize, you know, for Mrs. Bell when she was sick, but it also uh, tried to get Mr. Bell to take some poison and die. I mean, it was just crazy. So this was a lady who, who she was a witch or magician, and she created this, this entity, a tulpa. And now this no, tulpa it, is, uh, is roaming around. It sounded still more like um, this woman... I forget why she was mad at, uh, seems like maybe the Bell family, I'm not sure, but she just decided to put a curse on them, and uh, they didn't think much about it until all this stuff started happening. So they just called it a witch instead of a demon, that it just appeared and started doing bad things to people. <coughs> well, at least with the dog, we can be sure that it's not going to bite you. Yeah, <laughs> you know so exactly. <laughs> you know that that I could deal with. You know, well, I'm not going to worry about that. And he doesn't have any teeth. You know, so bring it. But uh, the rest of that stuff, you know, as far as you know, the seeing elephants and and cannonballs and just all that crazy stuff. I mean, that that you know, just to witness some of that. Yeah, even just one or two of those things would be awesome going down there. Yeah, Man. Andrew Jackson was very interested in it. That's why he went over there to check it out himself. And, you know, it tried to kill him twice with his wagon and then with the needles in the soup. I haven't answered everybody's question about what the the Bell Witch is. So it says here that um, <clears throat> John Bell, who was like the main person, you know, the head of the Bell household, um, he apparently killed a lady and the bell witch is supposedly her spirit uh coming back for vengeance doing all of these things to him was and she a witch I before i heard that even when i, I was know. over there i guess she wanted to i guess she wanted to kill him i i guess that was like the the end goal hmm i don't know about that that doesn't sound like anything i've ever heard over there from anybody or anything i'm not sure where that information came from but I know some woman was really mad at the Bell family or Mr. Bell because of something he did, but I don't remember getting killed or anything, but but she was really mad. So she basically put a curse on the family, and I think it was supposed to have been like a forever, multi-generational curse. Well, everybody, we are out of time, but I appreciate the call in, Leslie. Uh, mm -hmm. Leslie Mitz, everybody, she's an author, she's an investigator, she's done some fantastic work. Leslie, one time real quick, if you would, tell everybody where they can uh, get a copy of your book. Well, you can get it off Amazon. It's um, hardback, paperback, ebook, whatever you want. And we appreciate you being on the show with us. Dylan, appreciate you, everything you're doing, man. You did a great job tonight. Thank you so much for co-hosting. Renee, my other co-host, thank you for actually making it. That was cool, <laughs> even though it was very short. But uh, at least you got on here, man. You gave it your best. How about over here? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So everybody, you take care. Hey, and don't forget me again. I always I've been forgetting you lately because you're never here. Uh, poor Miguel. I feel left out. Okay. Oh, and thanks to Ken Gerhardt for yeah, calling in earlier. Ken, and... Yeah, Ken Gerhardt especially. I mean, he 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 was wonderful out here. He he did a phenomenal job. You know, and you know we really appreciate him being on here. I mean, he is a true pleasure to talk to all the time. Miguel, thanks for being on here with me. Yeah, thanks for being yeah, here. Sure, no problem, thanks, Eddie. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad he. I'm glad he made it. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Quit sucking up. 
<laughs> well, he made it. I mean, he made it. I mean, wh what can I say? I mean, he's here. So that's good. That's a good thing. So hopefully he'll be here more often, right? Hey, hey if, I, if I can get away from editing, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we want you to edit. So edit away. <laughs> edit away. We have things we need. All right. So anyway, everybody take care. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us here on Paranormal Analytical. Look forward to next show, next Thursday night. We are going to have a very special guest on here dealing with spirit photography, and we have evidence to back it. So be sure to be here and watch next Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. And, you know, it's at 4 o'clock Eastern on LNM Radio Network. Mm -hmm. So we want to thank LNM Radio Network for hosting the shows and, and putting us out there. We appreciate it. So we want to give them a plug in here as well. So everybody take care, and we shall talk to everybody very soon. And it's be awesome for next week. It better be. And we shall see you next time. Once again, this is Eddie Hill. Adios. Night all. Night all.